My name's Simon Baldock, and this podcast is called Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. It's the story of how I conquered my insecurities and shyness and went on to have a 35-year career in broadcasting both in the UK and in Spain. You'll hear some of my most memorable celebrity interviews and all the adventures I've had and the stories behind them. Like the time I delivered half a carcass of beef to Margaret Thatcher at 10 Downing Street and the time I carried a million pounds worth of diamonds on the tube in an old Sainsbury's bag on the way to a photo shoot with Lord Snowden at the Ritz. Hello again and thank you for downloading this week's episode of Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. I must say that this short series of podcasts featuring the stars of programmes from my youth are proving very popular indeed. Programmes from the 70s, 80s and 90s do seem to hold a special place in many of our hearts and the reruns continue to get very decent viewing figures. Well, again, this week we'll be hearing from another two stars from programmes that had huge following back in the day and both have had big Hollywood versions made of them as well. First up is Antonio Fargus, who played Huggy Bear in Starsky and Hutch, and then one of my all-time favourite characters and one of my favourite interviews as well, James Best, who was Roscoe P. Coltrane in the iconic Dukes of Hazard. Now, I'm often asked, though, was there anyone who you would have liked to have interviewed and never got the chance to? Well, yes, the one person who I tried to get. And then finally, when he agreed to do an interview, he sadly passed away before we had a chance to record it, was Peter Falk, who was, of course, Columbo and which is always still on our TV screens. There was just something about the series that had us all hooked. The pure genius of the show was that we all knew who the murderer was right from the beginning. But once they came up against Columbo, well, they never stood a chance of getting away with it. Anyway, on to this week's first guest, Antonio Fargus who's been appearing on stage and screen for nearly 60 years. His film debut was in Shirley Clarke's The Cool World in 1963, a gritty, uncompromising tale about African-American youth growing up in Harlem. But it was in 1975 that TV executives were looking for a capable actor to play the role of golden-hearted street informant Huggy Bear on Starsky and Hutch. And Fargus won the role with which he is still most closely identified. But as he told me, it was his mum who encouraged him to be an actor in the first place. Yeah, I was 14 years old, one of 11 children growing up in New York. And, uh, and my mom had this idea, you know, because uh, when I, I was an infant, she said when I cried, it sounded like I was singing. She had this idea for me to be in show business in some form, probably as a singer or something. And of course, I went a totally different way in 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 the business, uh, being a character actor and just doing things, and and now finally ending up <laughs> singing in a show and making her happy, and as well as myself, because it's uh, it's always something that I wanted to do. But how did your life change when you got that role as Huggy Bear? I didn't know. I was just it was just a job. First of all, it's a, a, suge- a succession of things. I, I did a film called Across 110th Street. Yeah. When I was a you know up and coming actor, struggling actor in New York, and uh, and the director, his name was Barry Shear, great action director, and uh, and I knew that I in order to continue on my path, I'd have to go to 
Hollywood and, and to do film and television. So when I got there and I was struggling in like uh, 71, 72, a couple of years, I, I got a call from Barry uh, off my agent saying that Barry wanted me to to come and I was asked to do it. It wasn't an audition process. He, he recommended me highly and, and Aaron Spelling, um, producer, said okay. And and I came in and did one scene in a pilot for with two guys called Starsky and Hutch, and the rest is history. Although the show was called Starsky and Hutch, you were really the, the third star of the program. W- was your role going to be as big as that at the start? I had no idea, but uh, but it was sort of a formula at the time. It was politically correct to have to to start integrating blacks into lead roles yep. in, in television series. So. Yep. So I sort of fit that bill. I had no idea because, again, it was just one scene in the pilot, and they said, well, the energy and the, the relationships worked well, and, you know, and, and I was hired on as, as billed as the third third star of the show. You know, I didn't have a sense of history then. Um, you know, we were just doing a job, and, and it turned out to be a big hit, and then, you know, continued to have very strong, positive mm. memories for people over the years and particularly here in the UK. And what was it like when you start you know, I suppose everyone started to recognize you and and your life must have, have changed considerably. Well, I've always had my feet on the ground, so I never let I've always said that I what I do is just a job and you know and it's just like the taxi driver or anybody else or a waiter, but I just happen to do work in the entertainment industry and you know I just was um I, I, I think humility is, is, is one of the keys uh, to the great people that I've known or met or studied in history, had a sense of humility tempered with their ego. Sure. And uh, so that's how it's been for me. I've just been someone who never believed in the press. You know, I never thought I was anything special because somebody singled me out because of a performance and so forth. But... But it's. But I did feel I, I worked hard at what I did, and I'm proud of what I did. So I think it was a fair exchange, so to speak, when yeah. people said yes. Well, we appreciate it, but I'm most critical Absolutely. of my work, and uh, so no matter what people say, as long as I have a sense of knowing where I'm at as an artist, then then everything else is gravy. David Soul's over here at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, we see David all the time when I come over. Um, in fact, it was two and a half years ago. He asked me to come over because I was over here doing some other things and he heard about it and we got together and then he said, would you come and join me to do this play called The Dead Monkey that he was doing on the West End and he wanted to move it to Brixton. So I went and I came over and I we had worked together for the first time in 25 years <laughs> and, and in a play and, uh, and we did a concert after the play and, and he encouraged me to sing and for the first time before an audience on working on some of the stuff that I'd working on in the studio. Yeah. And uh, and that was around the time that David P was putting together the last final tour of the Blues Brothers, and he might have heard about that, and, and because he always did something different with the show, but it was the first time he added, you know, I quote a celebrity or someone who was non non British uh, to to the cast, and and had this idea of marrying Antonio Fargas, aka Huggy Bear, to this iconic show that he, you know, had the Mm. pleasure to produce you know from the beginning and the rest is history 
Yeah. I must congratulate you, actually. You've, you've got a, a fantastic website. I was looking at it today. <laughs> and it, it's, you know, because there are a lot of celebrity websites. But yours is actually one of the better ones I've seen recently. Well, thank you. Um, my, you know, I have a lot of input into it, but the brainchild of it is it's a brainchild of a, of a great fan of mine uh, named Judith Hoffman, who who loves Starsky and Hutch, and, and she came over and saw saw me and David in the play uh, Dead Monkey, and and said she would be willing to start my fan club and and, and create the website, and <laughs> and we just had a great time, and it's been a good response, and I just try to. Always try to have as much contact with my fans, and she's been able to facilitate that and help me do that because I try to answer my mail personally and mm. and give back a little bit to those people who have been so supportive of me over the years. Antonio Fargas and his career continued to flourish after Starsky and Hutch wrapped up after four years and he has appeared in over 50 movies to date, many TV shows and numerous stage productions. Now the marvellous James Best. While he was probably most widely known for his role as Roscoe P. Coltrane in the long-running television hit The Dukes of Hazzard, over the years James Best built an impressive career both on stage and screen and taught and guided the careers of some of the film industry's biggest stars. Born in Kentucky, he grew up in Indiana and his first professional stage experience came after World War II in a European tour of My Sister Eileen, which was produced and directed by Arthur Penn. Penn would later go on to direct best in Left Handed Gun with Paul Newman. James has appeared in over 600, yet 600 television shows, including The Twilight Zone, Gunsmoke, The Andy Griffiths Show, Rawhide Wagon Train, The Rebel, Bonanza, Perry Mason, The Fugitive, to name just a few real classics. I, I really got to work during the golden era, uh, actually when stars were really stars and not just personalities. Yeah. Unfortunately, today, uh, I'm afraid uh, it, there's a lot more personality than there is talent. Uh, they didn't know the terminology or the technology of uh, putting a performance in front of the camera. And after I got enough experience, I thought I'd open a school and teach that. In one class, I had Burt Reynolds, I had uh, Gary Busey, Lindsay Wagner, Terry Garr, Don Wells, Glenn Campbell, and Roger Miller. And Clint Eastwood, is that right? Well, he used to sit in on the classes because I was doing, he was doing rawhide at that time. <laughs> and I did, a, I did a lot of the rawhides, you know. Well, I got killed a lot of, a lot of different weapons. <laughs> <laughs> rawhide, wagon train, bonanza, you've been in them all. Yeah, Gunsmoke, Rebels, all of them, yeah. Then you got, you know, you got uh, Dukes of Hazard. How did that change your life? Well, it made me rich. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds terrible. I, I, you know, Dukes of Hazard, actually, I had made, uh, I had produced a couple of pictures with Burt Reynolds called uh, the Gator and the End. That's right. Acted in Hooper and did the rewrites on Hooper and acted with him, he and Sally Field. While I was there... Um, my agent called and said, well, uh, would you want to go over and do uh, for a series called Dukes of Hazard?" And I, I thought it was about a gang, you know, gang type of thing. I said, I don't want to do that. And uh, <laughs> they said, no, it's a good old boy thing, and they'll be shooting it in uh, Georgia. Well, I like Georgia because that's where I shot Gator with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. 
And I said, sure. And I went down there and we shot five of them down there. And then we moved it back to, to L.A. <laughs> That's cesspool. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't like L.A.? <laughs> no. No. You had, I suppose, the best character as well in Dukes of Hazard. You know, a great comic character, even though he was a marshal. It was a great character. It must have been fun to do. Well, actually, uh, when they... Oh, the original script, the first two scripts, uh, they wanted me to play it fairly straight, you know. And I wanted to make it a family film, and so I just acted, you know. So I did what I used to do with my little girls when they were little, you know. I'd tease and I'd say, I'm going to get you, I love it. And I did that, and <laughs> everybody laughed, you know, adults and children alike, you know. And because we're all children at heart, I think. And so I used that, and uh, then I made Roscoe. A sort of a bumbling, lovable fool, you know? Yeah, yeah. And remind me, what was your dog called in the series? It was called Flash. Flash, that's it. And well, we, I saved her from a dog pound. I put her on the show. Well, Warner Brothers didn't want her on the show. They didn't want to pay the extra money for a trainer. <laughs> and uh, so I got her out of the dog pound, and I got a little a gentleman trainer, and uh, Flash <laughs> became one of the top stars in the show, you know? <laughs> Which is understandably, you know, all they do, you know, we did so many of them that they got to all be looking alike. So I say, well, if you want to, you want your audience to laugh, you just cut the flash looking up with those beautiful, soulful eyes, you know. Oh, lovely dog. Can I ask, is Flash still around? Flash lived to be over 14 years old. Wow. And uh, now she's in doggy heaven with a lot of doggy num nums. She had a wonderful life. She, I had her, I had her custom made uh, dressing room on wheels, <laughs> <laughs> made for her. And presumably, you you do a lot of these uh, reunions. Dukes of Hazard reunions. We did two of them, and then of course we lost uh, uh, Saul Book who played Boss Hog, and yeah. we lost uh, Denver Powell who did Uncle Jesse. Yeah, and then we just recently lost Waylon Jennings, who was the narrator. I guess that's about the end of the reunions, as far as I know. I um got all the information about you from your website. Oh yeah. How, how important do you think uh, websites are to people like you? Well, I tell you something. Uh, I've got over uh, over a hundred thousand uh, hits, and uh, I sell an awful lot of my of my original watercolors and and oil paintings on the internet. Believe it or not. I looked at them. You are a very talented man. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, you know, I never trained. You know, I, uh, you know, it's a God-given talent, I guess, because uh, I don't profess to be a real professional artist. But people seem to like my work, and I paint an awful lot of the beautiful southern landscapes and and a lot of beautiful country that I uh, that I travel around and see on personal appearances. Yeah. Well, listen. Before I let you go, can you just remind us once again of Roscoe P. Gold Train and that lovely laugh? This is this is what Roscoe would generally call when he's calling his uh, little fat buddy. Could you do this year, Roscoe P. Coltrane calling his little fat buddy? You got your ears on? I guess he's not. Well, I won't let him ride in my car because there'd be too much flab in the cab. Too much junk in the trunk. I'll just ride with my velvet ear dog, Flash. That's it, Flash. Buckle up for safety. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> it's absolutely mad, but really, really fun, and brings back a lot of memories for me as well. Well, you know, I listen. I do appreciate you uh, uh, doing the interview and everything, and I look forward to meeting you. Well, listen, James, we'll, we'll try and sort something out. But in the meantime, thanks. It's been great fun. I've had a great time. Thanks very much for sparing your time. Well, God love you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you.
James Best, though, sadly died in 2015. One of his very good friends was Burt Reynolds, who paid this tribute to him, which really summed up what a truly special person and friend James Best was to many of his fellow actors. Burt Reynolds said, It's such a shame to hear of the loss of James Best. Jimmy really was a great actor, but more than that, he was a great teacher of acting. I was fortunate enough to call him my friend since the day he walked on the set of Gunsmoke back in the early 60s. Following that, we worked together on a number of projects, both behind the scenes and on camera, two of which need to be mentioned here. Without his insights behind the scenes of my directorial debut, Gator, I would have been lost. And on Hooper, he was right there beside me, in front of the camera playing a role that came easy to him. My good friend, comrade and rabble-rouser, Cully. On set or off, behind the scenes, in front of the glass or just as a friend, his name was so fitting because he truly was the best at whatever he did. My heart is heavy and I miss him deeply. That was Burt Reynolds' tribute to the late James Best. Now next week, it's the final episode of my trip down memory lane, looking at the classic shows and their stars from my childhood. And it's not a bad couple of shows to finish off with. From MASH, you'll hear from Mike Farrell, who played BJ Honeycutt, and from the man from UNCLE, Robert Vaughan, who was Napoleon Solo. I had to build an electric fence around my house because the <laughs> girls were coming into the front door and so on. Even after I built the electric fence, I was in a shower one afternoon, one morning, and I had a kind of a Roman sunken tub and uh, with a large bay window looking out on the side of the property. And I was washing away and whistling away, and I looked up, and there were two girls looking in the window. No! So uh, I, was, uh, I figured out a way to avoid that and scooted them off the property because I didn't want any lawsuits. That's next week on Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. <laughs> <laughs>